So not only do you not know if the ad went out to anyone, you don't know who it went out to. Exactly. You are <laughs> advertising to men and women age zero to 100. Right. People who are alive may have heard your ad. You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 76. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome to the latest episode of the Maniverse Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about running a successful and profitable game business, and I am your host, Tom Traplin. Today's episode features Matthew Vercant, the owner of Just Games in Rochester, New York. Matthew Vercant has worked for three different game stores, done shipping fulfillment for various Kickstarters, managed shipping for Minion Games, and now he owns Just Games Rochester. His background before entering the games industry was in publishing and teaching. And he's come on to the show to share the most effective marketing technique he's discovered in terms of ROI for his shop, and to reveal why marketing should be in every game store owner's arsenal if they want to succeed in this business. And just a heads up, this episode starts off a little differently. I don't normally include the pre-interview chat, but it was so valuable I wanted to fit it into the show somehow, so I hope you enjoy a little sneak peek into the behind-the-scenes stuff, and with that in mind, let's dive in. Effectively, your entire budget it should be. Um, so it's it's tough, you know. In talking to you know other store owners, new store owners, it's, the question is always like, well, where do I even find the money to market when I am trying to get up and running? Um, I think you talked a little bit about undercapitalization in one of your podcasts being a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think That's that kind of plays uh, into going. Frequent topic. You know, I don't have a marketing budget. Uh, well, yes, I get that. Sorry, but, sorry. What was no, that? I totally understand. And that's something we can definitely talk about. And I, I feel like if you, uh, you know, if you're starting up and you, you're strapped for cash, like you're going in on this as a lean kind of endeavor and you spend all your money on inventory and fixtures and all that good stuff, you still, you can still do marketing. You don't need a budget, but you need a budget to do a lot of the sophisticated, more fun and interesting things, but you still need to market yourself. You still need to market your business. You still need to get the word out and spread the word. And like, there's a lot of free stuff that you can do that a lot of new game store owners kind of forget about, right? Like it's easy enough to start creating buzz online through social media. That's just time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talking to people that um, don't, don't realize how generally easy it is to get local search engine traffic too uh, is, is always surprising. That's something that we really like fought hard for the first six months to get on that first page of searches in our area. But after you do it, I mean, the payoff is continuous. As long as you maintain that optimization, you're exactly. still going to have people finding you through searches. Exactly. Man, I'm so glad so, to talk to somebody who gets it. Yeah. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's great to hear that on a podcast, though, because a lot of times, you know, people talk about budgeting for all kinds of things. And, you know, marketing is this little, you know, two, three, four percent down in the budget, maybe. But no one ever seems to really discuss very much, like, how do you go from I have a little money that I should spend on marketing to I've spent it effectively and I can measure how many conversions, you know, how many customers did I get because of that? What did it cost me per customer? Exactly. Um, and that's the tricky that's part. Really, that's really, that's the tricky I, part. I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like the traditional version of marketing is usually like you, like you said, the radio ad or something like that. for game stores. They, they, mm -hmm. oh, what do I do? I go on the radio because that's the traditional way you broadcast your message. But it's one of those ways that you could drop a large sum of money, comparatively speaking, 
and have no idea what happened, right? Like you may or may not see an uptick in customers. A lot of game stores aren't really tracking anything quantitatively, so you don't really know. And then you'd never know if the radio ad did it or if they just randomly found you anyways. Like that, you need to be able to measure the effectiveness and most traditional marketing doesn't have that. One of the things that I've struggled with too is that, you know, you'll have, you'll have people who bring you an ad package and say, you know, this is what an ad buy looks like. This is how many customers see it. And you say, oh, well, you know, what kind of customers see it? Are these young people, old people, you know, and a lot of times they don't have demographic information whatsoever. So not only do you not know if the ad went out to anyone, you don't know who it went out to. Exactly. You are <laughs> advertising to men and women age zero to 100. Right. People who are alive may have heard your ad. Yes. Very useful. Very useful. It's not like we have a very defined niche market or anything like that, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the internet's been a very, very useful marketing tool, I think. And I, I, I'm just really starting to scratch the surface of understanding what you can do with those tools. There are stores out there that are doing very robust things with, you know, Facebook marketing or um, Instagram. I saw a place that was talking about displays being uh, Instagrammable. Mm -hmm. Everything that you put out there should be able to be a photograph. Every end cap in your store should be an Instagram post. I thought, man, that's really clever. You know, we have so many pretty unique things in this industry. I got to get on that. But that's true. The, one more especially thing to put like on the list. miniatures and stuff like that, right? Like the modeling, the paint, the, mm -hmm. the whole experience of that really lends itself to a visual medium like Instagram and Pinterest and that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Totally makes Even sense. Even just properly merchandised end cap. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, yeah. the the big budget places, they will have, you know, pictures of their merchandised end caps because they look good and they make me want to purchase things there. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. We didn't even do an intro or anything like that. We're just yes. diving right in. Yeah, sorry. I saw your record light went on and I was like, well, we're already midstream on that chit chat. Yeah, you know, that's fine. We'll just <laughs> we'll put this whole thing together. Let's just jump into the conversation. Introduce you to the listeners and uh, we'll talk about your story and, you know, how you got into this whole thing. So who are you? Who are we talking to? Uh, well, I'm Matthew Rickant. I own Just Games Rochester in Rochester, New York, currently. Currently in New York or currently owning or? Currently, that's what I own. I was previously a partner in Game Universe, which was located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There are still two Game Universe locations out there. I'm doing quite well last time I checked. One of them has changed um, names, I believe. The location is still there, but the Menominee Falls location is now under a, a different ownership completely. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was actually doing some research and... Uh... Well, I, I was ac accidentally doing some research and I found Game Universe and then it listed in one of the blog posts that you were actually one of the, uh, you were the general manager for five years and you helped them build up the store. Yeah, I mean, they, we, I kind of came on right at this sort of 2009 financial crisis. So it was sort of a, a whirlwind tour of here are all the things that could go wrong, followed by how to rebuild it. Great time to start a business. Yeah, it's a great time to have, you know, um, a general manager position where you're not the one taking all the risk, but you get a lot of learning. Uh, I was very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a good way to dip your toes in the industry. Yeah, did always, absolutely. Sorry, did you always intend to open a store later on or is that just kind of something that evolved naturally? Um, you know, I worked there for a little bit before that. I want to say like a year and a half. I was teaching 
teaching um, English in one of the universities out there, and uh, my wife was working for Veterans Affairs, and um, I, I kind of work, you know, part-time, filling hours um, at, uh, at the existing game universe location. I was having a pretty good time with it, and it came time to, you know, expand, and the owner, James, uh, James Matthews, said, hey, you know, I'm looking for somebody who can really step in and do a lot more full-time work. You've kind of talked about maybe opening a store. What if you do some of the general management stuff for a while, and then you know I either you know sell you a store, or we open you another one somewhere, or you go somewhere else and open another store? And it turned out to be the last option, um, but it was it was a pretty good I think uh, pretty good partnership for quite a while. Yeah, you were there for five years. It was a pretty good time. It's a pretty good length of time to get to know somebody, get to know the business. Yeah. I mean, I was there for a couple of years as a part-time person and five years as a general manager. And then we moved uh, back this way after that. So it was a, it was a good block. There's just some mixed feelings about this whole industry in general. So I wanted to ask you a question. It's, it's been said that if you're smart enough to run a successful game store, you can make a lot more money starting another business. So why did you choose the games industry? Like why not retail, you know, luxury watches or something like that? And, well, I don't like luxury watches as much as I like games for one thing. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, it comes down to I've been a gamer most, if not all, of my life in some capacity. I know the, the, the product well. Um, there are things about the culture that, you know, I would like to see be different. And being in a, a game store ownership position is a great way to combine all of those things. Um, and, 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 you know, make a living doing it. I'm not trying to get rich on the game industry, but, you know, comfortably middle class is a good goal. And I think that's pretty achievable right now, you know, with, with a tabletop game store. Mm, go deeper. Why do you think it's uh, achievable? A lot of people think it's a challenge. Um, well, don't get me wrong. It absolutely is a challenge. But, you know, when I started off in, and this is sort of the perspective where I started from, you know, when I was working part-time in 2009, it was, an achievement for a lot of stores to be doing, you know, $150,000 a year. Uh, and the owner would have a part-time helper and that was an amazing game store. Mm -hmm. And I think now we have a lot more um, cultural exposure. The internet's come a long way in terms of showing gaming as something that's kind of cool and kind of fun and not this sort of weird thing you do in the basement with a couple cases of Dr. Pepper and a dusty manual. Um, that's brought a lot of people to the door. And I think being in a position where you have a nice space for them to try games out in, to be introduced to the hobby, um, gives you just a, an easier access, certainly, to um, a much broader, deeper base of customers. And that, when I say it's achievable, I mean, I think, you know, roughly $12,000 to $15,000 a month is a pretty rough gross for a store to try to stay afloat on. Um, and I think you have more people available to, you know, buoy that up, get some employees in, give a better quality of um, community outreach and in-store events. And I just think all of that together puts you in a position where if you can really get all the pieces in place and you can find an opening in the market and you can set yourself up to really provide a service that, that wasn't there before you opened, you can um, hit those goals. There, you know, you need, you need the capital in the first place and you need the ability to do the work and the knowledge to do it. It's not easy work, but it doesn't feel to me like a titanic task, which it definitely was in 2009. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that makes a lot of sense. I think that uh, it sounds like you've positioned your business in a sense to uh, capture the mainstream gamer 
or turn mainstream people who maybe not, uh, you know, think of D and D as their the first thing that comes into their mind. They think of games. They think of Monopoly or something like that. And you've made that uh, you made your store accessible to them, not just the the hardcore regular uh, miniature war gamers or the magic players and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I love our, our miniatures players and our magic players. They're a fantastic part of our community. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, though, that we're between a, a grocery store and a video game store for a reason. We really wanted to be in a place where anybody who walked through could be like, oh, hey, what's this about? And come in and get a taste of it. And it would just, yes, we would have those regular gamers, people who've been in it for their whole lives and love the hobby. But we'd also have a chance to really introduce um, lots of people to the hobby for the first time. Oh, I see. So it's kind of like a gateway drug. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're like, I, you, once know, you, you know, like they call it cardboard crack for a reason, right? Like it's once, I, you, I uh, think, once you try it. Yeah. I, and I think for, for us, a lot of the focus is just when, when I opened in Rochester, there, there are a couple established stores in the region, but not a lot of options. And it's tough for one or two stores to really cast a wide enough net to create new gamers to get people into the hobby and like you mentioned it's it's a very niche hobby that we're trying to cultivate so you know everybody trying to create new gamers and get people into it and show people what's cool about it in one market is you know is beneficial to everyone so rather than just coming in and being like yeah i think i'll just get some of these customers that are disenfranchised and make a store out of them i really wanted to be in a position where we were contributing to the ecosystem in the community um and you know I hope that that's what we've been doing. I think there's some serious network effects with game stores. And this is kind of the, one of the goals that I've always kind of had with this podcast in general is that I feel like if we raise the bar across the industry, just game stores in general, get better at finding new customers and serving them more appropriately and giving them the experience that they're kind of looking for, that everyone sort of benefits from that, uh, that general growth, right? Like, as it, gaming becomes more mainstream and it's not, uh, like you said, it's not, uh, it's not nerds in the basement with uh, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, right? Like when it's something that the, the families, like when a mom can come in and shop for her, her kids and she knows what she's talking about. She knows she wants the new D&D expansion, the, the new D&D book, rule book or whatever the case may be. It makes the, he said, the ecosystem stronger. It makes everyone, uh, everyone has a better opportunity to run a business that, a, that can actually provide that middle-class income. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that we were kind of poking around at earlier, you know, I think it was in one of your podcasts, you mentioned doing, um, you know, community outreach kind of things like going into schools and going into community centers. And uh -huh. um, that's a, it's a tough thing to do. It's expensive. It costs staff hours, but I think it's one of the most effective things that we've done in, in the years that we've been where we are now. We have a great relationship with a lot of the libraries in the area, a lot of community centers, um, you know, look to us for their um, programming. Um, we have some schools that do direct educational purchasing with us and rely on us to come in and kind of teach them, you know, teach the teachers or teach the kids directly, you know, how a particular game is played or um, work it into lesson plans with the teachers. And I think that's a really, really cool thing that it, it doesn't just, make sales, but it builds a level of trust with local businesses. You know, if, if that game store is pretty cool and, and all the kids and family members can go to it, then, hey, maybe we can check out the other game stores in the area too. 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I have no illusions that we're going to like somehow capture a customer forever and they'll never shop anywhere else. But my hope is that if they stop shopping with us, they at least go and, you know, shop with some of the other stores in our region so that, you know, it, it's still someone in the, the local economy and the local game store economy um, participating in that community. Absolutely. Now, this may be a, a redundant or somewhat rhetorical question. But what is just games known for? What's your specialty? Is it just games? <laughs> well, we do have just a couple of them. Um, <laughs> there's a few things Literally that we two. do. Two yeah, games. I mean, there's a few things that we do that's a, that are a little different. Um, in your initial uh, message to me, you asked a little bit about board game rentals. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of a key element. A lot of stores do board game demos and, and kind of show you the product when you come in. It's one of the sort of key selling points a lot of stores use with their, their board game section. Yep. Um, a lot of them are starting to do a really awesome job with it too. It's certainly something we can, we can improve on. But one of the things that we do is that you do this demo, you have this game, you probably have a well-trained staff on it. What do you do with the, the demo copy or copies when it's no longer on your demo tables? And for us, the answer was we roll it over into this rental library where customers who have a membership, which is free, um, can come into the store and borrow for a period of four days. And it's usually a pretty nominal fee, five or 10 bucks, um, any of these games that we have and take them home and actually play a whole, you know, whole game night with that game with their family. And um, what we found is that people end up purchasing more games that way because it's not just, oh, I, I saw this demo when I was in the store and it was pretty cool and I liked it and then they get it home and their whole family hates it. Um, they, yeah. they already know that they have a winner and if they're gonna play it again and again and again, the sort of nominal additional fee, they're, they're already convinced of the value, right? Well, we played this four hours last weekend and we can't wait to play it the next time, so spending 30, 40 bucks on this game is not very much. Um, so that, that sort of like flow of nothing is getting wasted. The game library in the back is constantly in use. Um, is pretty great. And then the second thing that we do that kind of ties into that when those games are retired from the rental library, we donate them to a school, a library, a charity of some kind. Um, and we've done a tremendous number of, uh, charity fundraiser style events. Um, sort of my belief that a local business at this point has to do more than just sell something. It needs to be consistently demonstrating a value to the community. And to me, that means providing a space. If you run events, some of those events are not just events for the community to participate in, but for the community to give back, for the business to um, give back to the community. And that could be a homeless shelter, or it might be a community center, or it might be a donation to a school. Um, we've, it might be volunteering. You know, We've done a lot of different things. Um, but in, in 2017, um, I think, I've forgotten what the exact number is, but we, in in-kind and cash donations, the staff and events generated over $10,000 for local um, charities and organizations. And, and we're pretty proud of that. And I think a lot of people um, appreciate that we sort of take that move within the community. That's fantastic. So you take the community role very seriously. It's not just yeah. uh, the gaming community, it's the community at large. Yeah, and I think that's partly because a lot of our, you know, you mentioned, you know, we seem like a store that wants to get sort of the general population in. Well, part of the responsibility of that is being able to demonstrate to the general population that you're doing something other than selling them a game and they take it home and they're done. 
you know, a lot of people don't want to participate in board game night at the store. They want to play with their friends. Well, what gets them excited? Well, it, it might be something that's, you know, um, uh, an organization in the community that they be, believe very strongly in that we run a, you know, a game-a-thon or an extra life tournament, or we did a charity commander tournament for magic. Um, there's a lot of variety to what we do with it, but uh, it really engages people um, and demonstrates that, you know, we're not just here to sell you stuff. I mean, obviously we have to do that to stay alive, but we also want to make sure that we are part of what's going on, you know, in Penfield where we're located and, and in the Rochester Metro. For sure. So it's not the only value that you provide. It's not just right. the transaction. Right. We hope we're pretty good at that, but we'd like to be doing a little bit more. Fair enough. So before we dive into the marketing, which is something I definitely want to talk about a little bit more than we already have, I wanted to also ask about your membership program and the magic mentors that you've uh, got listed on your site. Both those things stood out to me as something uh, interesting that I haven't seen a lot of game store owners uh, attempt. Okay. So where did the uh, first one, where did the membership come, uh, program come from? Well, what about the membership program? I mean, I'm, I, I'm sort of under the impression that a lot of stores do some sort of rewards program. Um, so what about the membership specifically? Can I, can I kind of talk about what, uh, let's say, what kind of impact have you seen? When did you, when did you introduce it? Did it originally look like it does now? Was it always the same basic system? And have you noticed like, uh, have you tracked? the results, do you know, this an uptick in sales for members and that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, so I can't speak precisely to this membership program at this store, but I can say that, uh, at game universe, we tried a number of different things and that's sort of where I kind of feel like I learned what was working and what wasn't. Okay. Um, I mean, we did things like flat discounts or discounts for every hundred dollars spent. And what we were finding was that people did appreciate, you know, if you spend a hundred bucks, you get, 10 bucks off or five bucks off or whatever it was. Um, but it wasn't actually generating an increase in product flow or sales or cash flow. It was just people spend what they spent when they got a discount, they'd use it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that this program is intended to do. And I, I, you know, I looked around at a lot of stores about probably a dozen stores membership programs to sort of develop this point system. Um, and the idea here is that basically the longer you hold on to your points, the better their value becomes. Um, and that does two things. Obviously it engages customers for a longer period of time. If there's somebody who really likes to game the system, we are literally encouraging them to game the system. Very um, fitting. Yeah. Hang on to those points a little longer. You get a better discount. If you use them for event entries or board game rentals, you're getting a great value. You know, it's typically around 10 or 20% off those sort of service fee oriented things. Um, when you spend your points and, and that in turn, if they're spending that way, it's bringing them back into the store for one more thing that we're doing. Um, so that's been very, very effective at generating, you know, traffic and generating appreciation. But the cool thing about it is let's say you have a customer who's just really built up a ton of points and they've got a 50, 60, hundred dollar discount. When they come in and spend that, they're probably getting that item for free mm -hmm. and the feel good on both the part of the staff to be able to go, Hey, thanks for being a great customer. I'm empowered to give you this, you know, this free hundred dollar box of miniatures or really cool board game or this new commander deck that you wanted for free or booster box. Um, it's awesome. The staff really seem to enjoy doing it. And obviously customers really enjoy getting free things. Um, 
And doing it in a way that's economical and kind of works into the store's marketing budget has been a really positive experience for, I think, a lot of our customers and, and you know, staff morale in general. So that sort of scaling system, you know, the customer gets to game it and then they get something that's a benefit to, you know, both sides um, and keeps them engaged in the, in the store. Um, it's been pretty effective. For sure. Um, it, it, when I read the details, I was very intrigued by the way that you structured it. I thought it was a great way to put it together because... That's like you were saying, a lot of uh, a lot of points membership programs and that kind of thing. They basically just amount to a, a a flat discount of some sort, and that's rarely very intriguing. It, you know, it doesn't engender loyalty, and a lot of people don't really care that much. Like you said, they'll they'll take the discount when they get it, but otherwise, that may not affect their decision making. They may not go out of their way to spend money or time with you over somebody else if that's all it is. But uh, so. Assuming everything is is uh, currently up to date, the the thing that struck me the most was uh, your requirement for your Vanguard tier. Sure, the idea that uh, someone who is a community participant, right, someone who yeah. is um, teaching games to other people, or doing a magic mentorship, or um, running a, a kind of game master role at an RPG table or even just organizing, you know, we've had people come in and go like, all right, I want to get three RPG tables together because we all want to run kind of the same like mini epic for D&D. &D. Um, mm -hmm. Those are all, you know, great examples. And, and one of the things that comes up a lot in that position are, um, you know, people in the store, but also school organizers, people who volunteer their time. Um, not a lot of them take advantage of it, um, but there's a handful which have this Vanguard membership basically because they're out in the community doing awesome things for gaming, and we want to do something to recognize those contributions. Fair enough. Have you, do you find a lot of people uh, rise to the occasion? Like they say, oh, I want this van, I want to be the Vanguard, I want to get up here, and I want to be, I want to take advantage of this membership program, and that inspires them to then become a game master or, you know, bring a friend, like you said, in the uh, description to, to create and build on that uh, community. Does that happen at all? Uh, yeah, I would say so. You know, for a more engaged gamer, um, the Game Master thing is kind of like a perk. But um, we've had a few people that, that come in and are very specifically interested in that and have come in just to ask um, staff about that. Okay, I saw this Vanguard thing. That seems really, really cool. How do I do that? And you say, well, you know, what kind of games are you into right now? What, what are you really passionate about? What do you want to be playing tonight is, is a great question. Because if it's something they already want to do, you know, well, I really like Zombicide. Or, you know, I'm really into that new Star Wars Legion board game or miniature mm -hmm. game. Um, it kind of gives us an opportunity to say, oh, hey, well, you know, I think we have some people in here on Thursdays who are super into it, but also super new. Um, you could come by and kind of teach them that game. And so it gives them an opportunity to, you know, kind of kind of do what they were going to do anyway, but in a way that is structured into the store's membership program so that they get that sort of, you know, point bump, um, which really, you know, to be honest with you, Tom, it, it's not like people make really any fortune off of it, but it's a great way for us to recognize them. And some people have been vanguards, you know, they keep that membership active for, I think there's one guy that's been doing it for two and a half years. <laughs> Dedication. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's very involved, um, and there's a couple people that have had upwards of two years as well, um, and they're super involved people. They just they love gaming. They're there all the time. They play a lot of games. 
Yeah, fantastic. It just seems to me like a really great win-win solution, right? You get somebody who comes in and organizes uh, some sort of an event or just kind of brings their friends and encourages the gaming that ends up encouraging sales in the end. But uh, then they also, the person, the Vanguard member gets this ownership of this mini community almost that they get to create. And yeah, I, I just love the whole thing. I like the, like it's a, tw it's a nice twist rather than just a flat discount, like you're saying. It's a nice, nice addition that really makes it unique, which is why I wanted to talk about it. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it was sort of, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, what you want to do is find an alpha gamer and get them into your community. And, and you know, my, my question was, well, what do you do in a community where you don't have an alpha gamer? How do you produce someone who is exhibiting those kinds of signs? And so we were kind of trying to come up with an institutional way that staff could literally create or encourage the positive behaviors of the quote alpha gamer um, within the store community. And, and I think it's been fairly successful. Um, there's, there's a couple things I would tweak about it. To be honest with you, tracking it through a point of sale system is a, is a logistics nightmare. Nobody's point of sale software or uh, inventory management is set up to really manage customers that way. Um, yes, I could see that being difficult. <laughs> so, yeah, I've looked at a lot of a lot of software and nothing really has quite what I want in it. So there's a there's some kludgy workarounds in place now, and I would love to get some software that you know did the heavy lifting for us. But at this point, at, at our size, we are managing. But I can imagine ten years from now where this will be a real problem. Um, so we're working on that. <laughs> well, I'll see. I'll talk to Nate uh, Nate Peterson, the guy who created Ion Retail. I'll see if he can produce something. Yeah, man, if Nate gets something as flexible as that point system and with kind of Vanguard capabilities in there, I will drop my QuickBooks point of sale and jump on Ion in a heartbeat. Yeah, um, I've been pretty impressed with what he's got going on. And the fact that he's constantly like adding to it. It's, it's a, a weird combination skill set to be a competent, capable programmer while also running a, a retail game store. But it seems to yeah. work out really well for Nate. So, yeah, he's he's juggling a lot though, you know, and and I I do not have that skill set. And looking at the outside in, I can go, wow, it sure seems like that's a lot for him to be doing. So yeah, he's doing an amazing job though. Yeah, that's what I think too. So this is a good lead into the the whole magic mentor thing. So you're talking about uh, creating like an alpha gamer. Did the mentor program come out of this membership, or was there something? Uh, was there another? reason behind it well the magic uh, the magic mentorship is something that i actually owe specifically i believe the store that i borrowed heavily from was a uh, board game barrister in milwaukee um they had this program a few years ago i don't know if they still do it and it, it was sort of similar to what we're doing there um and one of the things that i saw about that that i really really loved and i thought man i need to kind of tweak and borrow and build this into our our existing programming um, was that it kind of takes the magic player who's really passionate, you know, they're there early, they really want to teach people their hobby. Um, they're excited to explain the rules to new players, especially kids. We have a lot of kids. We're close to, you know, a couple school districts that, you know, the kids come in after school, want to play some magic. Um, it's often not something the staff can spend the whole day teaching them. Yep. So <laughs> encouraging a community that has a person in it that we can go, Hey, you know, this person's super cool. Um, they're kind of hanging out here anyway. This is their name. Have a seat. 
let's teach you some magic together. And then, you know, that person can kind of guide them in that first tournament experience or whatever. Um, that's been, it's been pretty helpful, I think, in terms of building the kind of community we want to see in the store, which is very open, very welcoming to new people. Mm -hmm. um, especially very excited, you know, middle schoolers. <laughs> very excited. Well, it sounded like a, a really good way to, uh, to develop newer players, which is always one of the challenges with Magic. I, yeah, I think it's an ongoing challenge for wizards that do a lot of articles through their WPN um, pages written by, you know, great retailers in a lot of cases, uh, you know, about that exact subject. How do you use open house effectively? How do you yeah. get new people into the store? How do you go from the point where you have your sort of rotating semi-stagnant player base to developing new players and making them feel comfortable coming into the store? It, and it's ongoing. It's, it's a continual challenge. You know, you, sometimes you get just a great batch of new people and they all come in and they're all excited and they all just gel with the existing community. And sometimes it really takes a lot of um, community management to kind of make sure everybody's getting the experience they're looking for in a given event day. Community management. That's a good way to put it. It's, there was a point in time where it, this kind of goes along with that alpha gamer thing. You know, people are like, well, what if you get an alpha gamer that uh you know maybe maybe is kind of being rude to other customers because they're just you know they're that into the hobby and and they're just too intense or something like well you have to do a little community management then which doesn't necessarily mean kicking the customer out but it means you have to you know gently take them aside and have a little conversation you know this is what's happening this is the kind of thing that's that's occurring with other customers and we really love your passion and we really want you to keep bringing it but we also kind of want you to maybe tweak a couple things here and here if you're going to keep hanging around the store uh, all afternoon. Yeah, at least be polite. Yeah, which, <laughs> at least. you know, we have a, a code of conduct too, which I've noticed more and more stores adopting in the last few years. I think it's such a good idea. Um, yeah. couple, a couple of people have commented that they're, they're in the store and they're comfortable in the store because they know we have a code of conduct. They found it on our website. Um, if the store doesn't have one and they're listening, please go write a simple one. They are awesome. They really set the right tone. Your staff can, you know, tell people, hey, we have a code of conduct. Check it out and ask me any questions you might have before you start your first tournament. Um, and it just, it sets a tone. And I've forgotten where I read this, but somewhere there's research that says just the act of saying we have a code of conduct decreases the odds of any impolite behavior occurring while a person is part of an event. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> like a very minimum baseline that you should, it's easy enough to just copy and paste. And then you've got something you can always point to for when uh, somebody gets a little bit too rowdy and you just say, those are the rules. It's yeah, like language is always a big one. You know, we've got adults that are swearing and parents don't want to leave their kids there. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of stores out there that will just be like family store and their players know what that means and yeah. everybody calms down and brings it back to a third grade appropriate level. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, you know, like you wouldn't really expect these kinds of people to go into McDonald's and just start swearing up a storm. You're like, yeah, maybe you don't act like that in a it, professional it, 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 business environment. You know, it's a tough challenge, right? Like part of what, what we're doing in a game store is trying to make people feel as comfortable or close to as comfortable as they would feel hanging out and gaming at home. But at the same time, sometimes there needs to be a little bit of a reminder or a barrier of, yeah, you know, it's kind of a public space too. Yeah. Well, a lot of times if the, maybe for some of those people who are gaming at home, you know, they're also gaming with a beer or something like that which yep. is not exactly the same environment. So there's a, little bit, like a slight difference. You, know, you have to be a little bit more uh, conscious of where you are. Let's talk about marketing. We got into it before. 
Yes. Let's talk about what Just Games does. What do you do for marketing in, uh, for Just Games? Somewhere I have a very long academic marketing plan written down. Um, I'm not going to read it to you. Don't worry. <laughs> They're <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> they really, they are. Everyone should go read seven or eight of them just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, basically what we do, we have, um, I think we talked a little bit about outreach programs. We try to do those as much as we, we do outreach until it is painful for our budget to absorb more outreach. Um, because it's just getting someone who's really super excited about a game, who's an employee, who knows it well, out into a school or a library or a group of people at a community center and teaching them a game in a Just Games t-shirt or with a Just Games, you know, event pass or something to give people afterwards, come try this thing at the store. It's the most effective marketing that we do. Probably the conversion rate is between 10 and 20% of the people that we see that way become regulars at the store. And I can't think of anything that effective. <laughs> it's you begin the hand selling process and you begin the community building process right there at their first impression in a place that they're already comfortable. Um, so that's really awesome. That's sort of our hands-on approach. Um, we don't do, the only thing I'll say that we don't do, and we kind of avoid this on purpose, we don't actually take any product to sell to those events. We're not there as salespeople. We're not trying to get you to spend money with us. We want you to get a sense of the community and then later the sales will appear if you decide to participate. Interesting. So how do you go about and contact, how do you find people that you want to reach out to, to do your outreach? Um, how do you select the, the you vast, do? so the vast majority of, and when I say community centers, I mean like your local town rec center, parks and rec. Um, they often are looking for people to do programming. Um, libraries, the last few years, libraries have been huge into having a month, um, if not more than a month that is themed around gaming. Um, that might be D and D. It might be board games. It, it varies every, it might be video games, you know, every library and their tech capacity is different. Um, so, you know, what I, what I tried to do and have tried to do several times and done pretty successfully is go to, um, youth librarian meetings in a region and say, Hey, you know, this is what we do. This is kind of the programming we can offer. If there's something that fits your schedule, please, you know, contact me. Here are some of the games that we play and we play some games and it's, it's fun. Youth librarians tend to really like games. <laughs> Most people tend to really like games, I think. And, uh, <laughs> universal actually. Yeah. So we, we do that and that, that gives us an in there and, and, um, schools are a little bit tougher. Um, they really don't want you selling things to kids for, you know, obvious reasons. Of course. Um, so a lot of times what we try to do there is support specific programming nights. Um, a couple of schools have had us in for like big hundred person kind of assemblies, like come in and show some games and come in and teach a few things. And we're also going to have some students who are dungeon mastering that night and some students teaching a board game that night. So we kind of roll into their scheduling and kind of show them what parents, what we have to offer and chit chat with people and teach kids some new promo games. I recall like when Legion was new, for example, we ran some demos in one of the local middle schools and like 20 middle school Star Wars fans learned Legion. So, I mean, that kind of thing is, is a lot of fun. Um, you'd also asked about, you know, the other parts of the marketing. Um, we do Google ads, obviously. I think a lot of places do and Facebook are really, really big. Those are kind of the places where we spend a good chunk of actual cash dollars as opposed to staff time dollars. A lot of that is, is direct, try, trying to direct people from a Facebook page that is very general. Hey, we sell just games. We have a lot of games here. 
into a Facebook group that is more focused. We really want you to check out our miniatures group so that we can talk about miniatures there and you can share painting tips there. Um, we also have that same Facebook page set up to do automatic posting on particular times that we have found customers are already in, engaged with us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. So that instead of having to go back and check our page later, when they're getting their morning coffee or whatever, the post pops up that's like, hey, this is a new board game we just heard about. It's called Holding On, and you should read about it. Um, so trying to reduce the friction on the customer experience so that if there's something cool and new, it's pretty much there when they're looking for it. It's a solid tip. How do you, uh, how do you find the times that your audience is reading your posts on average? How do you find um, the best time? So I would love there to be a better version than this, but my method was to blow a lot of months posting at all times of the day and then <laughs> record how people responded to them. <laughs> That's one way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, there, there may be a less brute forcey way of finding out what your market is doing, but I could not at the time think of one, so that's the one I used. <laughs> All right, so it's the shotgun method, you know, just see where the outline is. That works. Right, right. So for the, um, how long have you been doing the Google PPC? Um, I want to say roughly a, roughly a year. I used it off and on a little before that. We also did some advertising through Gamerati, um, which does banner ads on gamer-specific sites, um, which was not as effective as I would have liked, but that was partly because my advertising was not as good as it should have been. So that's something I might return to. <laughs> that's always the trouble, right? You never know. Yeah. Like, it didn't work. Is it because the words were wrong? Is it because the color was wrong? Is it because the shape of the banner was wrong? Like, the positioning, like, so many variables. Yeah, you know, and I'm very quick to, to say, like, it was probably my judgment call that was wrong. Um, because I feel like, ultimately, even if that wasn't the case, I need to come up with something that's going to work anyway. So it's better to just start off and say, yep, that one was mine. I'm going to fix it going forward. Um, Google ads were just a way for us to really bolster that search engine optimization a little bit more. We're fairly well ranked locally if you're searching for, you know, Rochester Game Store or whatever. Um, there's a few out there and we're usually on the first page for searches, which is great. Um, but especially around the holidays where somebody's really looking for a specific gift, we know we've got 30 copies of a hot game and we want you to find it. Um, we are going to make sure that's in our search terms. So do you, do you mean by updating your Google ads or do you mean by... Uh, updating the meta description in your, your homepage or something like that? Uh, both, actually. So there's probably half of the meta description that is being indexed by Google is not actually visible on our public web page. Yep. Um, it's out there. You can link to it. So if you're in the area and you're searching for something, you will find the web page, but it's going to be a page that just links you into our core pages as opposed to being publicly visible. So we can alter those seasonally and do to make sure that the, you know, if there's a, a game like Gloomhaven and everyone's looking for it and somehow, I don't think anyone got this many Gloomhaven, somehow we have 30 Gloomhaven uh, <laughs> just lying around that no one wanted. <laughs> we can make sure that that's both available organically on a page. Hey, we have Gloomhaven this holiday season in, you know, Rochester and we try to make it sound less wooden than that, but you get yeah, the idea. Um, and then we also run some advertising at the same time. If you're looking for Gloomhaven and stores in Rochester, we're hoping you're going to see our ad. So you advertise for specific products or the store in general? Like, it Both. seems like you're hitting like, this is a, the number one thing for the next couple of weeks. Let's make it happen. 
so we always have something running for the store in general. There's always a general ad out there. Um, but then when there's something that we are really pushing specifically, we will run a separate ad set that is specific to this is the thing that we want people to find um, this okay. week. It's funny. I don't think I've ever talked to a game store owner yet who has mentioned SEO <laughs> as a strategy. Like we're seeing uh, the gaming industry is so analog, right? It's, it's, it's all about the face-to-face experience and all that. You just for, like a lot of them just kind of forget about the, uh, the internet as it is. And it's tough in an industry that has a couple web developers doing content management systems um, that, you know, like um, for years, Crystal Commerce was doing a lot of web design and it was designed on a similar meta description. And if you don't know how to go in and tweak that meta description, it's the same as everybody else's. Yeah. So that's not to say it's a bad thing. Their tools were actually fairly robust, but if you, as the owner or the web developer, whoever, I don't know that a lot of stores have a web developer full time or anything, but someone who's wearing that hat at the time, um, you know, went in and, and didn't know how to change that description. Your website was basically not functioning to draw people into your store, which is, you see people getting a little savvier about that now, but it does still seem to be something that a lot of stores aren't even engaged with. Yeah, no. I mean, I found some, I, I won't say where, but I have found some Lorem Ipsum blocks in existing game stores, and I hope that I cleared all of them out of my own website now that I've said that out loud. Um, but it, it's tough because sometimes you can't find where, if you're not familiar with the management system, it's, it's hard to find where that filler text is even hiding, and, and, and it's, it's not helpful. <laughs> it's really not helping you. Yeah. No, I, uh, mixed feelings on that. Like, I feel like, uh, as a business owner, you should have, I want to, I want to say a rudimentary understanding of how your website works and just how search works and like just very basic stuff. I don't say you don't have to be able to code JavaScript, but you should know where, you know, you should be able to add plugins and publish a post and move some page elements around and things like that. You should know how it works because it's really important and you'd be surprised at how much of a difference it can make your business when you stand out more like the uh can't remember the exact ratios but if you are the number one search result in google you, you're getting something like 80 percent of the traffic for that particular keyword and then number two is like 12 and then number three is a little is like four and then it's just like it goes down from there to basically zero yep so yep. like if you're not in the top three you might as well almost not exist yeah, and it's it's interesting because I, I see, so one of the things that I did when I was setting up um, this store and when I've set up, you know, websites for, for other game industry um, projects in the past is try to search, especially for local things. Go to, go to someone else's local market. Go somewhere in California and start searching for stores, you know, by general terms and see which store is coming up over and over and over again and then go to their website and examine what they're doing. Yep. You know, what do they have that is making them show up all the time? And a lot of times they're the oldest store in the area, right? So that, that gives them a big advantage. Yeah. Um, it's Google tough to overcome. Like Google loves, loves history, loves it. It's really tough to beat that. Um, but you can do a pretty good job at coming up second, like you said, um, very consistently. And I've seen some stores doing an awesome job at doing that, um, especially in really crowded markets. That's so important. Mm -hmm. um there's a couple people writing blogs now um 
about super crowded game store markets where there's like 30 or 40 stores in a metro area and and seo is critical can you imagine going from like 10th place to first and what kind of jump that store might see in search traffic over a year yes and then uh, it's hard to quantify but how much like generally speaking it would be really interesting to know how many people turn from website visitors into in-person customers right but there's definitely a relationship there yeah i mean absolutely and google has started to get um to your business um that's a pretty good indicator of people that were serious enough to figure out where you were relative to their house it's not perfect you know we try to have our staff ask when it's not super slammed in there like oh cool you know it's your first time here how did you find us probably half of the time the answer is i, I found you on google that's if it's literally half that's a fantastic ratio it's that, that really shows how valuable it is to be the one it, that they find it them. does yeah it does seem to be a lot and half i gosh i don't actually have data in front of me for that because so much of it is anecdotal from staff yeah, meetings course. um but it seems like an overwhelmingly large a number of the answers we have little review cards where staff can say hey if you had a great time you know go go review us on google and hey how did you hear about us and they can kind of you know the staff can take note of that that we gave out this card and they found us on Google. And so there's a good chunk of that. I should probably aggregate that data somewhere. Um, but there's a good chunk of it that seems to be just search engine traffic. They searched for, you know, role-playing games near me and found our store. And that's immensely valuable. So do you, well, no, it's not a question. I noticed you do content as well, right? Somebody writes for your blog on a relatively consistent basis. Yes. The, in fact, I think all of that is me. So you can blame me for the typos and the incorrect <laughs> dates where they may appear. Um, so you yes. write literally every post that's published? I don't know if it's quite literally every post. I think some of them include manufacturer, uh, we would have called it flap crap in the book industry, but it's the descriptions, the sort of raw description of the game off of their website will get worked into it somewhere. Um, so no, I am not writing that. Some of them are written by anonymous writers at Fantasy Flight. Or oh, okay. Um, written with air quotes. Yes, sure. I'm not sure who exactly is responsible, but it's not me. Um, I am borrowing it for the sake of selling their product. Um, but yeah, so everything else, the actual posts are put together by me. Do you have a strategy as to what you talk about in your blog? Or is it just um, new product? New products going up. There's a, there's a, we try to hit a mix of things. And sometimes this is hard to do because you hit gluts, you know, like right after Gen Con where there'll be like eight posts in a row that are all talking about new product pre-orders mm -hmm. because that's all anyone is asking about anyway. Um, but a lot of times the strategy and what we post is dictated by what our customers are asking us about. You know, if we've had three people ask, have you heard about um, this weird like Keith Forge game that's coming out? Can yep. you tell me more about it? We do the post for two reasons. One, if people are asking us, they're probably searching for it. Um, if they're searching for it and there's already a post on our website, there's a good chance that they're gonna find it from us before they find it from you know, a big box store, um, a competing local store, uh, an internet discounter, wherever, right? Mm -hmm. We want them to come to us for information. So we try to get the information out as fast as we can get it. Um, 
Often that means that product posts are, are put up with like, we don't really know when this product will be here. It's going to be the end of the year, quarter four kinds of dates at first. Yeah. But it does let customers and gamers get a sense of the game. And the other thing that it does is let us train our staff faster. If there's something that goes out in an email um, and our staff see it, they know what we're going to be focusing on for the next week or so. So that when people come in and go, hey, I saw that newsletter. Hey, I saw that post. Hey, I saw that ad about keyboards. They at least have a rudimentary knowledge. Even if they walked in the door and saw that email 10 minutes before they started their shift, they have something they can refer to that's sort of collated. You know, here's any deals we have on it. Here's the pricing. We do a lot about store events. Um, we occasionally post things that are community interests driven, like changes to Adventurers League or updates to Magic Rules. Um, I would say I don't do as much of that as I would like to, and probably because those posts are much more time intensive. Yeah, for sure. And blogging is one of those things that's infinite, essentially. You could make millions of posts and you could still benefit from making more. So it's a never ending uh, content mill, if that's what right. you're running on. But each one's an asset, right? Right. And one of the things that I have found that's been kind of fascinating to me is the more you get in the habit of talking about new product, the more I find that people are discovering us who are not even in our state, um, sometimes not even in our country. I knew with Pathfinder second edition, for example, yeah. probably a third of our pre-orders through the website were people who were not located in the United States. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a nightmare because we had it set for local pickup only. <laughs> That'll be a bit of a challenge for some people, I would guess. Yeah, so we, we mostly hand managed that successfully so that we could get people their books. <laughs> but it was very weird. We had this glut of, oh, these are, these are not our customers. Where are these books getting purchased from? Oh, uh, Finland, neat. I wonder how much the shipping was on that. Um, I, it, was, it was bad. It was 40 or $50, I think something just completely ridiculous. Um, and some of those folks did decide to try to find a local store for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine once they realized, oh, wait, this isn't the shop that's down the street from my house. Whoopsie-daisy. But it, it, it does illustrate your point. Like, if I'm putting that post up the second day I hear about Pathfinder and I'm getting people on the third day that the information's been out there finding my website, the industry is very analog. A lot of people are not putting up information on their websites and so when people search for it they're finding our little you know flgs in rochester new york all the way across the globe because there's nobody close to them posting that information for them exactly low-hanging fruit for right. listening get your local seo by posting what you're talking about go talk about your games on the internet so people can find you yeah that's if you're not many game store owners are doing an awesome job of this true I think a lot of them do a great job telling their customers, probably in person, you know, like it's a lot of fun talking about the new game. Of course, you're going to tell customers as they come and, hey, you checked out the new game. But just take a 10 or 20 minutes and put it online. Like maybe you don't even, maybe writing is not your thing. Video works too. Oh man, yes. For the, the game store folks out there that have someone or are themselves amazing with video, I, you notice I shut the video off immediately when I got on this call. Yeah. I am super self-conscious about being on video, not a fan of it. Um, and I, I just, some of these people have video blogs that are amazing. 
Um, they do a great job with new products and it, it, it makes me want to go buy things from them. And I own a store that stocks that product. Exactly. <laughs> Video is huge. And it's, and you can do it with just a modern cell phone. You don't need anything too sophisticated to post a reasonably good video. For the most part, nobody cares about the lighting as long as it's not completely dark. Nobody cares about the audio as long as you sound somewhat normal. And they don't want a like highly produced scripted commercial. They want somebody authentic talking about things that they like. So I don't know if uh, if you've uh, tracked uh, Darcy at MindSculpt Games at all. Uh, I have not, no. Okay, so she's, she's been on the podcast a couple of times now. And she, if you like video, she does a great job. She has this uh, Facebook video series called Boomer Bust. And she started a game store about a year ago. And she talks about the business of, you know, the business decisions in the game store. But her Facebook video marketing is one of the, one of the major drivers of her, her business's growth because customers are really engaged. They want to know about what's going on at one of their favorite locations, which is their, their local game store, right? Like as a society, like there's a, there was a show called How Was It Made? People love to know just randomly how something gets done. And video is a great way to do it. And, it's, and she does it just with some pretty basic equipment, but she's a, a great uh, bottle to follow if anyone is uh, interested in finding out a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've been, I, I'm guilty of looking up uh, her Facebook page while you were describing it. And uh, it, it's actually pretty awesome. Um, there's a lot of video. There's a lot of great pictures. Yeah, she's, uh, she does a great job. Yeah, this is, I'm going to have to go learn some things from Darcy. I'm going to have to go introduce myself on the internets to Darcy and, and learn from a master. <laughs> I am not a video guy. <laughs> well, you know, if you got some part-timers who are a little more photogenic or comfortable in front of the camera, you might want to set something up with them. They might be interested in that. She yeah, does that with uh, to her employees too. Because I am neither a photogenic person nor comfortable in front of a camera. Well, you're good on the audio, so you got that going for you. Maybe a podcast. Yeah, well, you know, I, I may be f comfortable with putting, you know, things in H1 on my website, but uh, I, I am not super familiar with any of the tech involved in this either. So be a little bit of a learning curve, but I might, I might be able to manage it. Just have me back on sometime and I'll, I'll just give you some more content. We'll call it good. Hey, you know what? <laughs> always looking for content, right? It's That's the, right. The nature of the internet, there's always more. You always need more. So actually, uh, yeah, to, to kind of bring this back around, we talked about email a little bit, and I noticed you have a subscribe to our mailing list on the side of your the sidebar of your website. What kind of conversion do you get on that? And also, how do you use email for your business? Like, what do you do with it? So the primary thing that email gets used for um, at Just Games is, is informing people about events that are happening in a given week. So if it's a Tuesday newsletter, then we're going to be covering all the things that happen basically that weekend or anything special that's a deviation from the weekly events. So International Talk Like a Pirate Day falls on a Wednesday. We do a draft on a Wednesday. If you come in and sing us a sea shanty or wear a pirate hat, for the draft, we'll give you five bucks off. So it's kind of a draft day where we're not 
making a bunch on the draft, but it's a great community builder. People are sort of excited to do it. And we're hoping, speaking of video, to get some kind of silly videos out of that. Um, that'll be fun to post around and, and kind of have a good, a good time with. So um, that sort of thing goes in the newsletter. Um, occasionally we'll do product reviews or something. If there's a game that we've had a lot of questions about, we'll get something in there specifically that says, hey, this is what, you know, is going on with this board game, or this is when this miniatures game that's been really, really delayed is expected to actually show up. Um, and for the most part, if you have a membership, you're on the mailing list. If you don't want to be on the mailing list, you unsubscribe. We never put you back on it. Um, unless you put yourself back on through the subscribe button. Of course, of course. So do you see a lot of uh, people coming in because they've been emailed? Like they come and say, oh yeah, I, I totally forgot and I got your email and that's why I'm here. Like does it, does it reactivate customers? So it does do a certain amount of that. Um, I am, so I am never going to, as a small business owner, win the technology war with Amazon or any of these companies with, you know, million dollar budgets to develop software for a button in a newsletter. Um, I can't do that. Um, but what I can do is try to make something very, very frictionless. So I'm, the newsletter is often trying to time things properly. Yes, you can always come into the store. Yes, you can always call us. I almost always, if it's something that you can purchase, an event ticket, um, a pre-registration, just a reservation where you want to have like a, I, I will RSVP to this. We try to have a button or a PayPal button or a shopping cart or a Facebook event where you can just click on it and now we kind of know that you're interested in the thing. That can be pre-ordering, but it can also be as simple as like, go RSVP to this painting day that's completely free and we just want to get headcounts so we know how many chairs they have for you. Um, and so we do get a fairly good sense of where those people are linking to from the newsletter and if they then make a purchase or RSVP to something we can directly see, you know, oh, there's, you know, 20% of the people getting our newsletter are regularly opening it. And of those four and a half percent are taking some action off site. Um, four and a half is probably high in general. That would be like a magic pre-release sent out to our magic players. Yeah, that would be a pretty good click through, right? Yeah. 20% opens, not bad. I think that for, we read something about that being, uh, 2022 20, would be like really great for a niche market. Yeah. 14 would be like yeah. average. Average. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. in there. So you're doing something right. At least your, 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 uh, your mailing list is engaged a little bit more than the average, which is good. So you're saying you, uh, you, tr you try and kind of separate out the list a little bit more than just the generic newsletter you're you're trying to put your customers into buckets yeah that that can be a little challenging because we don't it's not like we can if you come into the store and you buy like a dnd book and some packs of magic um hmm. it's not like we immediately know what buckets you're in and I, I unfortunately did not have the marketing foresight to set the newsletter up to be like an opt into this bucket um set up immediately. So after that, you can kind of ask people, do you want to be get emails about this specific topic? Check this box. Um, but often if they don't open that particular message, they don't check that box. So then they sort of stay in the general one. Um, but there's also ways, um, we're using MailChimp and they give you some ways to break things out based on what uh, particular emails people responded to. So if you send one that's just about magic, you can take the people who opened that and click through on it and move them into an interest group. Yep. Um, which is pretty useful. It's not a perfect system because I found a lot of times more gamers play like 
two or three genres of thing. Like, oh, I play miniatures games, but I also play board games and Star Wars Destiny. So I'm a little leery of having all of my collectibles marketing only in a collectibles list. Um, but it is nice sometimes to be able to go, you know, I only want to really remind my Pokemon pre-release players that they should pre-register because we're almost out of seats. I don't want to remind everybody on the mailing list of that. Yeah, and you can still, it's a little bit tricky to set it up with uh, MailChimp that way, but you can, you can basically still have that conversation, right? You can, if you do have that magic segregation list where you send out that email and anyone who clicked on it, you know for sure that at least they're interested in magic. Maybe they want to hear some more about it, right? They could be on that uh, magic focused list. Yep. But then you could also have them still be subscribed to the generic. And then if they click on the Pokemon one next, then you know, okay, they like the Pokemon stuff too, right? So it's, it is possible, but it's a lot more work, obviously, if you're going to really start to break out the, the topics and the categories and how you're going to talk to them. But it's, it's definitely worthwhile, right? Like messaging is one of the most important things when it comes to marketing, right? You don't want to, you don't want to talk about just generic games to generic gamers. You want to talk to magic players about magic and you want to talk to so-and-so about particular things that they want. Yep. Yep. And we, you know, one of the ways that we do that in a little bit more focused manner, we have, um, we do a lot of special orders and pre-orders and reservations for new games. And I, I, I really try to generate a critical mass. If it's a game that's going to have like Monster Apocalypse or Legion, it's going to have some organized play with it. I want to have a critical mass of interested people that I can email initially after that game comes out and go, hey, you folks seem like you're super into this game. And I'm confident that they're into the game and I'm not irritating them because they just bought it. Um, you hope they'd be into it. They just spent right. money on it. If you would like to play more of that game, we will have this event on this particular day. And so that gives us sort of a, an interested core of people. It's like if you had some pre-orders, it's an automatic cheat to put those people into one email list. Yep, it might only be 16 people or even eight people. But if they're all really passionate about that game and they all attend, then you're going to have a really great event, even if they're the only eight or 16 players there. And if you get another, you know, eight or 16 people beyond them, it's going to be amazing because you're going to have half the crowd that's gung-ho and half the crowd that's a little curious getting the best demo experience of their life. Do you capture the, uh, your customer's email at your point of sale? Um, typically, yes. I mean, you did notice that sign up on the website. Um, yeah. We get... Eh, one, two, three signups a day, probably through the website at this point. Um, and probably half of those are local. Um, Nothing wrong with that, but that's still pretty good. Yeah, so that's not bad. But then at, at the point of sale, when we're collecting that membership, we get a little bit more information when you open a membership. It's free. We ask you for your name, your email, your zip code. Um, if you want things mailed to you, if you want to have like a shipping account, oh, I live an hour away. Well, we can ship to you. You just need to give us your address. And so we can, we can do that right there too. Um, and you can set those memberships to be, you know, distance shipping accounts where you can kind of, we don't, aren't quite the sophisticated from our register because people who are running the register aren't doing the shipping. Um, yeah. So we could theoretically set it up to ship, but we don't. If you have a store that is, has many terminals and they're all linked, that would be an awesome function for you to use, I suppose, but that is not my store. Gotcha. I'm just curious as to how much, uh, how much you focus on it, right? Because a lot of stores don't bother with email at all. That's just, they don't have the time, they don't have the expertise. It's not even an afterthought. Um, I, I, I 
focus on it. I, it's part of the, it's part of the strategy. I should have mentioned it in marketing earlier. Um, it, there are people who do not, they are not on Facebook. They do not come into the store every week. They do not check our calendar on the website. They do read their email. So there's a subsection of customers there that if I don't send an email, will not know what's going on and therefore probably not participate. So, you know, if that's only four or 5%, which I think is roughly what it is, the no, no social media people, but they check their email. Um, that's worth it to send an email. Um, certainly yeah, those customers are getting a better customer. experience and we are re -engaging. Yeah, exactly. All right, you ready for some quick hits questions? Quick hits, let's do it. Okay, we'll see how quick they actually are. <laughs> okay, so what is the biggest mistake you've made with your business? Probably not, uh, not having a larger space right out of the gate. Um, mm. that's, it's very tough to move a store, it's very tough to expand, um, and the biggest weakness that we have now is that we can't really serve miniatures gamers as well as I would like or in the volume that they would like to participate. And that is a real pain point for us now. Um, so I wish I'd just given us maybe another thousand square feet for the first few years to get us a little bit better position to, to help those people participate in the community. Well, now you know what your next step is though. You've got something <laughs> to work towards, okay. Yeah, so it's good difficult. <laughs> exactly, what is the biggest success you've had? What's the um, win? You know, there's a, look, we are, we are making a, a middle-class income doing something that we love right now. That's huge. But as far as the companies, I mean, there's a whole book about that um, from Gary Ray that came out uh, four months ago, five months ago. I'm, my sense of time is wrong. Uh, it's an awesome book. Go read it if you haven't. Um, Friendly local game store. Yep. There's a plug. Very well titled. Yep. <laughs> it's a great book. And it, it talks about that concept and, and I'm, I'm managing to make a living doing it. So I'm, I'm very pleased with that. But I think the, the amount of, of contribution we've been able to make to to charities is something that I'm super, super proud of. You know, I, I love being employed doing something that I like, but being able to actually participate in the community for me personally and give something back to it um, that isn't just, you know, oh, I, my business paid its taxes on time. Yes, that's important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I really like it when I can do that, and so does New York State. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but being able to, you know, help some charities out, get some more visibility to um, places like homeless shelters or schools that, believe it or not, your local school probably has a gaming club in some of their grades, and a lot of kids don't know they exist. Um, being able to give some visibility to that is, I'm really, really proud of the work we've done there. Can't awesome. say that enough. Do you have a favorite customer experience story? So, I really like to be at the counter. <laughs> If this is probably one of my weaknesses as a store owner. I would rather be talking to customers and interacting with people than doing book work and strategic planning. I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> I think it's a lot of people. You, you probably don't get into running a local business and then hate people. It's probably pretty probably unusual. not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I, I have a, a couple, but I would say one of the ones from this particular store's launch very, very early on in the period of the store where I was, you know, my wife and I were pretty much running operations our own on our own. I think we might have had one part-timer we were working on training. There were a couple of high schoolers who came in who were like, whoa, what's all this about? They were, they were very much not tabletop gamers. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, we do games without electronics. And they're like, well, that's cool. What's that like? So I was like, well, let's check out this magic game. And so I sat them down. 
and gave him a couple of welcome decks and we went through, you know, some of the stuff, um, taught him some of the basics and these guys just became the biggest like attendees and champions of the store. They were there for every magic event. They were super pumped about it. And it was like sort of this moment where you see, you know what I used to teach, the lights sort of will go on for a student. They get a concept. And it was like, they came into the store and they're like, what's all of this stuff? And then by the time they left, they're like, this is what we're gonna do now. This is awesome, and holy cow. This is awesome, yeah. And just like generating that excitement and having people who then went on and had literally years of enjoyment from that one little 20 minute, 15, 20 minute interaction. That's, it. I've had, quite a few interactions similar to that but that one stands out it was early in the store's history and the level of excitement that they brought after that was super gratifying <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer because i'm sure there are a lot of people who are pretty jaded about a lot of their customers at this point and it's nice to know that there's you know there's those ones that really make you happy that they kind of remind you why you did the whole thing yeah, it's tough. Customer service is it's a, it's a tough gig. You're always trying to you know make people happy, and sometimes they're not, and that can that can be the thing you that negativity bias can be overwhelming. So for sure, yeah, it's a great question. Okay, so what are some tools you use during the day that you couldn't live without? For example, Twitter, Facebook, Evernote. Um, Facebook's totally essential. Um, absolutely couldn't survive without that. Uh, we have increasingly started to scan our collectible inventory and we have a document scanner that is amazing. It's like an instantaneous scan of a card. That thing is phenomenal for inventory purposes. Cool. Um, and we have one of those awesome little gel pads. I don't know if you've ever stood on one of these things, but I've had uh, some foot surgery already and standing on a gel pad when you are standing behind the counter or doing a little sorting or a little inventory work, it's awesome. I would not make it through the week without that. <laughs> yeah, I love those things. Used to have one in front of my sink when I was doing dishes. It was beautiful. Uh, beautiful. Okay, so what are some resources you recommend for someone getting started to have to bring to a game store? For example, cash, prior inventory, skills, knowledge. Okay, so we're starting a game store from scratch. We don't own a game store. We're going to go and we're going to open one. This is the yep. person. Um, a, a huge pile of money. More money is, is better. The more you have initially, the more you can start with. Um, Experience, go work in someone else's game store. Go to your local game store and go, hey, I wanna open a store, I have these amazing skills. I will bring them to you, I will happily sign a non-compete and I will go open in some other market. Be very upfront about it. I just wanna learn at your feet for five years. Um, go and do that. If you have retail skills or you have marketing skills or you have skills that a store could use and you can get someone to hire you, you're gonna be so much better off having learned the industry than coming into it as a super passionate gamer and throwing money away, learning how to run a business. Yeah, shorten that learning curve. Yeah. Hopefully you're not on your own, your own bill, right? Your own dime. Yeah. Yep, yep, absolutely. And go, go read the very few books that are specialized about our, our industry. Uh, I believe the name is uh, Wallace. Dave Wallace has a great one still. Yep. The numbers are a little dated, but the book is awesome. Gary Ray's book is great. Um, I mean, there's a handful of others. Go to trade shows, go, go to Gamma. If you haven't gone to Gamma, I haven't been in a while, but it's great, a great, great resource. And go to your distributor trade shows. If you're working with, you know, a, a major distributor and they have a, an open house or something, go see what new products are coming out. It's a very small expense to go to a distributor trade show before you open a store, but while you have an account and learn about all the things you might want to stock. So you will make fewer mistakes in stocking. I think those are probably the big ones that I would hit. Okay. Write a marketing plan. 
Sure. Yeah. Why not? I guess a business plan while you're at it too, right? Yeah. I assume you've done that already. Yes. yes. I would hope so. Did a whole episode on that. I would hope they have that done. All right. So we kind of, kind of alluded to this a little bit. If you, if you had to start over from scratch, what would you do differently? Um, I would have a larger pile of money. Okay. Um, that would be a good one. Um, but in terms of things I have control over, I would probably look for, you know, Rochester's challenging. We wanted to be on the east side of the city. And I, I think this is probably a, an issue for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's a, it has strip malls and then it has little converted houses kinds of things where it's like one building standing alone in a neighborhood. Um, it's tough to find exactly the right middle size space. I think if I had it to do again, I, I would give it another six months and find the perfect space right out of the gate, or at least know that I had ground the market dry looking for one. It, it really would have made several product lines easier to work with right out of the gate. And we're doing it. We're making it work, but our customers are being super patient with us. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, last somewhat quick hit question. It's probably not. You know, we'll see. What is your big, hairy, audacious goal? What's something that you want that's just out there that you want to achieve with your business? We have a fairly high percentage of female shoppers in our store. Um, it would be really great to see that percentage reflected in more of our organized play. Yeah, I, 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 it's a worthwhile in, pursuit for sure. Thinking about that, I think it's a, it's a challenging goal to overcome. We do pretty well in a couple areas, role-playing games, board games. Um, part of that, I think, is the, just the culture of the industry um, in general. But it, it's something that we, I think, struggle with. You talked about wanting to see game stores improve and raise the bar. I think when you have a service that is maybe not serving a particular group of customers very well, it's, it's sort of on you to ask, why is that? What could we do better? And that's something that I really feel like I am not quite there in terms of like, why is that? What could we do better? Um, you know, it's great that, that people are shopping. <laughs> that's, that keeps us going. Yeah. Um, but um, I'd like to, I'd like to have more opportunities for more people to play games um, in the store. And I, I don't know that we're doing the best job of that that we could right now. All right, then. Something to work towards. And then final question, what's in store for your business in the near future? Anything exciting well, coming up? Well, man, there's always a lot of stuff coming up. Um, one of the things that I am really, really excited to see um, happening again, um, there's been some updates to D&D Adventurers League. We have been lucky enough to run basically all of the season five, six, and seven epics, and they've been a ton of fun. We've had role players in costume, and it's it's this big, fun community event. We run a couple different sessions of them. We get 140 people through um, in a day. Um, I'm looking forward to doing some of those again this fall. That's coming up. Um, we're really expanding some of our miniatures offerings and ability to demo those in the near future, and that's exciting. I'm hoping to add a couple big RPG tables that are um, specialized for minis and RPGs to be played at, which I think will be great for all of those things I just talked about where I said, I'd like to be able to engage more of these people and more of these people and more of this demographic in events at the store. I'm hoping we can start to do that. And that is, um, that's some of the big exciting stuff for us. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So let's wrap it up and uh, tell the listeners where they can find your store online, real life, you know, how can they connect with you on social media and all that good stuff? 
Absolutely. So we are Just Games Rochester. We are located at justgamesrochester.com, or if you like the abbreviation, you can go justgamesroc.com. On Facebook, that is Facebook slash Just Games Rochester. Um, I believe Twitter is linked from the website, but I don't remember the exact hashtag. It's probably hashtag Just Games Rochester if I did my job properly. Um, Just Games Roc. Ah, rats! I abbreviate. Got it right in front of me. <laughs> um, you can get in touch with me by email at uh, the main sales at justgamesroc.com uh, website, or if you are in the Rochester area, we are at sixteen oh one Penfield Road. One four six two five. Well, with that, I think we will say goodnight to the listeners and uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. All right. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. All right. That's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I want to thank Matthew for joining me for this episode and sharing what's been working for him and his business. Don't forget to check out Just Games Rochester if you're in the area. And when you do, tell them Tom sent you. I also want to thank you for being a listener of the show. If you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed in iTunes, and while you're there, you can leave a five-star review. It's been a pleasure being your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.